Hey, it's Harold. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, and cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 63. We kick things off with an unforgettable singer-songwriter that fronts the fourth most successful band of all time, Jason Sheff from the group Chicago. Then we're revving up our motorcycles with seven-time national AMA champion Chris Carr. Our third conversation is all about the movies and Hollywood, the legendary Christina Ritchie. This is PodFest 63. Jason Sheff, the lead vocalist and bass player of the fourth most successful band in music history. We're talking about Chicago. I'm doing great. What's going on, man? Man, we, we have a Kevin Bacon, six degrees of separation here, Bruce Geich. Unbelievable. I love Bruce. Oh, my God. We we have talked about you so much over the past years because we you saved rock and roll, and you know you did, and and because this this country and the industry needed you, and, and you showed up, man, and we've always been so grateful for you. I appreciate that. And you know what's funny, with especially over this last year and a half, I, I talked to all of my artist friends, and, you know, it's always been a joke that we're not really uh, – you know we're not curing anything well yes we are anybody who's able to really and it's it's not about us i'm not taking this personally but what we do and you too to provide it with radio and getting it out there to people it's medicine so i feel the call to arms now and and ready uh ready to serve i'm so glad that you brought that up because i was going to ask you about as radio people we are always consistently trying to figure out what that connection is with a person as a musician do you do the same thing where it's, you sit back and you go this is going to reach this person we're we're, go- we're going to help heal somebody today I don't. And that's the beauty of it is that all of a sudden when you get people talking about it, like I was just kind of scanning some some music videos the other day on YouTube and the comments are just mind blowing. They'll tell you exactly what this means to them. And, you, you know, you might write a song that you that doesn't come from a personal experience and people will say that helped me get through, you know, an amazing uh, time in my life, yeah. you know, and so what we're providing and the, the key, though, is to not take yourself too seriously of thinking, I this is me and I'm doing, you know, we're just vehicles. And, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, having some time to reflect on that is really a great thing because it's not about us. It's not about you personally. So step up. If you have gifts, everybody has gifts too. So find out how to, to spread those gifts and make the world a better place because we really need it right He's, now. And I, I'm excited. You speak of those songs. My Chicago go-to song has always been Song For You. What what Chicago song go you know, is the one that really brings you forward? I'll tell you, of the stuff that I grew up listening to, uh, Just You and Me yep. is when I first really got turned on to the band. Because I'm, I'm 59 years old, so I was too young to catch the very beginning of it when it happened. But when Chicago 6 came out and my brother had won uh, the album on the radio and brought it home, <laughs> Feeling Stronger Every Day and Just You and Me were my jams. So uh, Feeling Strong, I'm sorry, Just You and Me always has been one of my favorites to perform live, along with 25 or 6 to 4, just classic, great songs. This this rock and roll romance cruise, it, you know, to me is such a connection with 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 real people. Is there somebody that you're going to visit or or be with that you're excited about too? Because in reality, you're just as human as we are. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you who I'm really excited 
wanted to meet our 10cc and specifically the bass player who's one of the lead vocalists because i'm a bass player lead vocalist um i'm friends with guys in foreigner yep um air supply both of those guys are my buddies so i'm excited to see them too uh guess who i i've never met little river band friends of mine war friends of mine um you know, and Melissa Manchester was my first major artist that I sang background vocals on one of her records. So I can't wait to tell her that. Wow. Dick Clark played a major. And Joe, I'm sorry. Did I have to say Joey Molland of Badfinger? Oh I've God. toured with. So I can't wait to hang with him again. I'm going to have him come up and play with me if he wants to. Wow. Dick, and vice versa. Dick Clark was such a major part of the journey, the early days of, 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 of Chicago. Did you ever get to meet him? I did. In fact, we did, you know, obviously I'm the second half of, uh, of the radio hits of the band in the eighties. So when I met him, we did Dick Clark's rock and new year's Eve. I can't remember what year it was. It was in the nineties, I believe. So it was really cool to meet him. And, uh, you know, icons like Dick Clark and Wolfman Jack, who had come up when the band was first, uh, starting and then to meet them and you could see the the you know the sparkle in their eye to meet somebody who was continuing to help you know keep these things going well like 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 bill said in the very beginning it's very short today but i look forward to the universe creating a path for us i know that you guys come to charlotte all the time and i can't wait to see you on that live stage again jason because you guys really bring your performance Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, you enjoy that cruise because I know we're all going to get together and we're all going to celebrate music and life, dude. Me too, buddy. Uh, let's let's do it. Let's do it, man. Be brilliant today, okay, Jason? Thank you. You too. You ready to have some fun? Let's go unplugged and totally uncut with a man that knows everything about speed. Chris Carr. Man, you've had an exciting life, huh? Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anybody else's. Really? All that speed, all of those things that you've done, and there isn't that one little thing of you that would say, that was kind of dangerous. Uh, it's all kind of a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. You know, um, You know, with the whole dirt track thing, I mean, I, I, that was my job, but it was also my passion. But, you know, ha- getting to do the, the land speed stuff at Bonneville, you know, there's a quote that you, um, you spend uh, in the five minutes you spend going up and down the salt in Bonneville. Um, it, you live more in five minutes than you do for the rest of your life. I forget what the quote is, but... Um, it's one of those things that kind of gives you this hyper focus and in order to do you know 350 miles an hour around there um nothing else in the world matters and if you if you kind of just it's one of those things that's euphoric when it's going right everything you can't go fast enough when it's a little bit off it's the most frightening thing i've ever done and when it's all over it's like wow i survived that that's pretty cool how do you train for that kind of speed because it's over with within seconds um they took me through a process when i went out there uh the you know after signing up and, and agreeing to 
try and break a land speed record that was at 322 miles an hour. They put me through the paces. You know, the first thing is learning how to start the bike, <clears throat> get the bike going, mm-hmm. and then bring it to a stop. That's the most difficult part for it. It's designed to go fast, but it's, it's not very good at low speeds. <laughs> so uh, I spent a, a whole day just them towing me up to like 60 miles an hour, and it, it was attached to a tow rope. I'd release the rope, and then I'd just get used to the handling of the thing and then bring it to a stop without putting it on its side. And I put it on its side a couple times. I put a racing stripe on the right, and I put a racing stripe on the left <laughs> um, in, in the process of learning how to how to, how to to operate the thing at slow speeds. But once we got the motor fired up and uh, got the thing into gear, it was like, ah, this thing's pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, I, I did a series of runs where I'd go up to, up to the top of first gear and then bring it to a stop. And then I'd go up to second and bring it to a stop and then up to third and then it's a four speed so uh you know i had a total of like six runs um on the salt under my belt with the motor running and my seventh and eighth runs were the first runs of a meet in 2006 and i'm you know off the trailer they were a, a world record at, at an average speed of 350 miles an hour so wow. it was uh it was quite an experience i vaulted to the top of that that world um, very quickly. Because on this side of it, all we get to see is the victory. We don't get to see how you're trained, the challenges, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's such a soundbite generation. But mentally and physically, I mean, you definitely had to be prepared for something like that. You had to be prepared for it to all go wrong and accept that it could. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's no different than the the flat track racing that I'm more well known for. Um, you know, it's it's a very very tough sport, and for for the automotive people out there to give you an idea what what is AMA Pro Flat Track. I mean, it's sprint cars on two wheels with no roll cages and no seatbelts. So when it goes goes bad, it hurts and and sometimes worse. Um, as somebody who's you know grown up around it, I'm kind of a little desensitized to that because I've seen what can happen and what can go wrong, and so are all the guys. That are on the AMA Pro Flat Track Circuit and, uh, you know, having an opportunity to come to Charlotte again, you know, f- with a, with a, you know, 13-year hiatus, I think it is, since we've been here last, to, to be able to call the action and uh, um, explain to those that have never experienced it before, I'm, I'm reliving it all over again. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway on, on August 29th is going to be a great place for people to get their first taste of uh, AMA Pro Flat Track, and I look forward to help explain in the action. It's almost like being that country music performer. You've got to share your song so other people can be pulled into the actual journey of what's going on. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good way of looking at it. Um, I've lived the life of a flat tracker for over 40 years. I started when I was six years old. I'm 48 now. I've been removed from the sport. I retired at the age of 44. And I'm, I'm kind of like finding my, my second uh, second wind on the sport, having the opportunity to, to explain to those that don't know a whole lot about it what it's all about. And, you know, to me, going fast at Bonneville was euphoric in a different way than slightly 
sliding it off into a corner at 100, 110 mile an hour and putting it in a two-wheel drift inches apart from the other riders and uh, trying to make the pass all with the same common goal of getting to the checkered flag first. Um, you know, that's that's what it's about. That's what I lived for my entire life. Are you a part of the machine or is the machine a part of you? It's Who's both. Is it really? It's both, really. Sometimes, you know, you get on a machine and you think it has a mind of its own. Yeah. You know, if you, you've missed the, the setup, one of the things I, I, I like to say is that, you know, an ill-handling motorcycle on these dirt tracks can be like having your hands on a wheelbarrow full of alligators. <laughs> and you got to do whatever you can to, to keep the alligators in the wheelbarrow and go straight and get it to its destination. Uh, but then there are times when you hit your setup perfect, you're riding at the top of your game where it becomes easy. And when that magic happens for you as a racer, it... Uh, it's unlike anything else. You know, it's like you just turn in the throttle and it's going around in circles. And, and, and to be on that bike, though, you've, you've got to be able to hear the wind because there's there's people coming up on you at all times. You've got to be able to hear the difference of, of things are changing quickly. Yeah, you're, you know, you're listening to the engine note that you're on the bike you're on. You're listening for other engines. You're uh, looking for shadows. I mean, this will be a night race, you know, and then part of the qualifying goes through the day and depending on where the sun is you'll see the shadows of the other riders uh you'll hear their engines uh um you know and your whole goal is to make sure you don't smell their exhaust because <laughs> when you're out front you're in clean air and that's what that's what that's what everybody uh is shooting for wow see it's it's speed it's action it's flat track it's so charlotte motor speedway it really is and it, it's uh it's kind of a shame that we haven't been here in so long but i'm 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 really glad we're back because we know we're in the middle of nascar country uh we know that a lot of the nascar drivers uh um kind of got their start in the dirt on four wheels and we ride many of the tracks that they cut their teeth on whether it's uh, uh modifieds or or sprint cars or world of outlaws or what have you um, we have a common bond in that we've traveled a lot of the same paths we've uh, been on the same dirt you know we've raced at places like Eldora in the past we've raced at Knoxville we've uh, raced at Bulls Gap in Tennessee I mean a lot of the iconic tracks that those guys cut their teeth on we're cutting our teeth on on two wheels as well so it's a uh, it's really cool to, to be able to go and watch those guys do what they do so well and when they have the opportunity to come out and watch us do what we we do so well you have that that racers kindred spirit and it's a it's a cool feeling how do you trust the dirt though because it, to me, that that's something that can shift with the person that was ahead of you. Maybe I'm, I'm half a mile ahead of you. Well, they do a really good job of preparing the dirt. You know, we'll be there on the bikes. It'll be packed a lot tighter. Okay. It'll be a little bit, uh, it, it'll be a lot harder. You know, a, a World of Outlaw race with their big, fat tires that they have on, their, their tracks start out really wet and heavy. For us, they're pretty hard and they're pretty firm. And you just have this, like, nice little tacky layer of moisture on the top. 
crap that we uh, that we start out on. But you know, with these little skinny tires, they're only six inches wide, um, and obviously they're curved. They're not flat like a like a sprint car tire would. You know, you you lean the bikes over, and a lot of times, you know, you you got a handlebar, you know, six inches from the ground going through the turns. That's what's cool about it, though. I mean, that's At that's night, an art. It it is an art. Uh, no different than uh, being a hold a, being able to hold the world of outlaw cars flat footed around Charlotte Motor Speedway. We lean them over to where we're nearly dragging the handlebars. So uh, it's uh, it's quite the show to have that confidence to learn how to do that art. I mean, you had to have been a gutsy little kid because to lean a bike. I mean, that's not an everyday thing. Well, it's it's a learned skill. Um, it's a trial and error type of deal. I mean, when I was racing, I I never had anybody teach me how to ride. I got tips. I got riding tips or racing tips. But for the most part, it's a it's a monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> you watch the older, the better riders as you're coming up, and you, you, you emulate the guys that are winning. You try to do what they're doing so that you can win at your level. And that's how I learned. And it wasn't until, you know, I was well into my late 20s that I had a, f- a friend of mine uh, um, that I met through racing say, hey, we need to do a dirt track school, a motorcycle riding technique wow. school. And and we started one uh, back in 1997 called American Super Camp. And he, the first thing he asked is, well, tell me how, what it takes to slide a motorcycle. And I'm, I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I just do it. He says, no, break it down. Show me that tell me what the steps are you know uh and i really couldn't put it down on paper and it was something that we had to kind of work at it took about two or three years of doing the school of a lot of the monkey see monkey do for us to develop the curriculum because nobody really taught it it was it was just a you know a series of emulation as you as you grew up and so that part i can break it down now i know where you need to sit on the bike where how much throttle position you need to have in relationship to the lean angle in relationship to the amount of grip that the dirt's going to give you. It's all kind of a black art in some respects, but there is a basic core that these, all these guys are doing. Some of them just don't realize it. And uh, that's the beauty of it is that I've, I've been able to kind of look at it, look at how you go around a dirt track from multiple angles and uh, and decipher what what's right and what's wrong. What's fun about watching is that when you're up in the stands, you've always got those armchair quarterbacks up there that think they can do it too and it's fun to hear how they they try to piece it together and they talk and they cheer and stuff but how do you when you're calling a race how do you sit still because i mean daryl waltrip can't sit still when he's doing a race i mean how do you not want to just get out there and participate well fortunately for me um I got it out of my system because I raced longer than most. Okay. You know, most motorcycle racers typically are done in their mid-30s to late-30s. I raced all the way up competitively until I was 44. And the last year that I went out, not only did I do the entire national circuit, but I did a bunch of other smaller races. I wanted to do what was called a farewell tour. A farewell the flat track tour as a racer. And I raced at age 40. 44 in, in uh, 17 different states. I raced uh, 35 races that year in all corners of the country and many places in between. And 
I was a wore out son of a gun at the end of the year. <laughs> I had my wife and my kids with me. We traveled by motorhome all over the country. And um, at the end of the year, I was like, I gave it my all. At my age, I was competitive. Uh, you know, I finished second in three races uh, by a combined total of three quarters of a second. You know, I lost a couple of them by a, two races by a wheel and a short track by a couple bike links. See, I can see why you said I would never trade this in. That's an exciting life and style. Well, it, it is. And, you know, my kids um, my kids grew up in a motorhome traveling the circuit. And I got one that starts college at the end of the month. <laughs> so uh, he grew up on the circuit. Now here he is 19 years later getting ready to go to college. So it's uh, um, it's it's been quite the life. And uh, fortunately, I, I still get to live it to a certain extent. I just don't have to put the helmet on because I've been there and I've done that. When you were talking about the motorhome and driving up and stuff, I'm from Montana, so our hero up in Montana was Evil Knievel. So yeah. when he would drive up, you being 48, did the wild man play any part in your life? Well, I, I had the the little um, pull string <laughs> pull string jumper with the motorhome with the ramp and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you know before Evil Knievel started jumping, he was a dirt tracker. He was a flat track motorcycle racer. Oh, I didn't know that. He just he was a better jumper and a showman than he was a flat track racer. <laughs> and uh, he cut his teeth in many of our Grand National champions from the from the fifties and the early sixties. He's uh, traveled the circuit with him as well, so he was—he's one of us. So yeah, I, I have a kindred spirit with the with the late Evil Knievel. Yeah. Now your event at Charlotte Motor Speedway is is dedicated to a very very dedicated man and and Don. Yeah. And I mean Don Tilly was just so. I mean I I've sat in here and created more commercials that Don Tilly was a part of because he was so community driven. It's going to be a moment that day. It it really is, and you know I'm. I'm I'm fortunate in that there there have been a lot of guys, a lot of racers that Don Tilly has worked with through the years, and I was fortunate enough to ride um, some a couple of the motorcycles that he built um, back in the in the '80s when I was racing for Harley Davidson as a dirt tracker. They uh, his his longtime rider Gene Church had 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 an injury, so they were bringing the dirt trackers over to fill in for him at the road races in the Battle of the Twins class back then. And he has this very iconic motorcycle called Lucifer's Hammer. And uh, it was an XR1000, a little bit bigger than the XR750s that we typically raced on the dirt, set up in road race form. And I didn't have a whole lot of road racing experience, but we did uh, we did uh, compete at, at, the, at one of the races at Memphis Motorsports Park. And uh, even even up until to, till recently before he passed, that we always giggled about how fast that bike was. And at that time, I weighed like 125 pounds. So so it was like a rubber chicken, you know, on a horse. And um, <laughs> and uh, I started like second row in the race and I blasted off into the, into turn one first, which was a right hand turn, exact opposite of what I do normally on dirt. I'm going to the right on pavement where I go to the left on dirt all the time. And, you know, the top four or five guys go blowing by me and, you know, I make my way around the f- next lap around. I blow by all of them down the straightaway. <laughs> the guy certainly knew how to make a Harley Davidson run fast. And uh, it was one of the neatest 
experiences that I had in my uh, short amount of time that I did did do the road racing and um, he you know he's just a great guy to ride for um, he was always happy to be at the racetrack he's always been happy to help uh, a fellow racer yeah. and um, they broke the mold with him when, they when did. he came they, they certainly did they, there aren't, aren't many people in the world like Don Tilly and I'm I'm excited to be a part of a race that uh, allows us to memorialize him and uh, he was taken from us too soon and uh, the Don Tilly Memorial Half Mile at the Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, on uh, August 29th is going to be the going to be the place to be for us to all pay our respects. And there's going to be a lot of people coming out that, to support Don and to to find out what this racing is all about because it has been 13 years. Is it is it like normal racing where where the fans get to get real close and ask questions and be I mean because that's one thing I've always loved about racing it's a family sport it, it really is a family sport and they do have ample opportunity um, one one of the things that our series kind of prides itself in is once they've gotten through their practice and they're qualifying um, they open up the pits for all the spectators all the fans to come down and meet the riders see the motorcycles get some autographs they, they usually open open it up for 45 minutes to an hour and allow them to kind of mingle around and get to know the riders. And uh, then uh, they close that back down, send everybody up to their seats for the racing show. And then um, when it's all said and done, uh, for them, they open it back up and come on back down and congratulate the winner or, or uh, meet the one that you kind of fell in love with watching on the racetrack. So it's a, it's a real inclusive deal um, for all the fans. It's a great experience. And if you never seen a, a Grand, Nas Grand National Dirt Track bike uh, from the AMA Pro Flat Track Series. Um, they're a unique piece of equipment, and um, if you're a if you're a gearhead, uh, you don't you don't want to miss it. Now, what what does it take for it to become a part of Charlotte's Threads? Now, well, I think. <clears throat> I think a good, strong showing in its first year and it's something, you know, we hope to build on. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, two-wheel history in motorcycle racing, while it's not overly strong here today, it has some deep roots from back in the 60s and 70s. This used to be a very big hotbed of dirt track motorcycle racing. And uh, I think there's no better way to... Uh, reestablish those roots then by having a little bit of the trickle down showing the people what it's like at the top level um, might encourage people to uh, visit some of the local races that have popped up recently here in North Carolina um, across the state and also down in South Carolina um, amateur flat track racing has started to flourish here in the last couple of years and uh Maybe we'll see some some young kids come out and want to try it themselves, and they will have a, an area that they can go to here locally to experience it themselves. I love it. iHeartRadio is everywhere, so how does somebody follow you guys? AMA Pro Flat Track um, is amaproracing.com. Uh, they also do some internet broadcasts on fanschoice.tv. 
Um, the series is sponsored by Harley Davidson Motor Company. Uh, presenting sponsor is Vance and Hines. Those guys uh, in t- together have done some great things in NHRA on the pro stock uh, drag racing. So uh, it's uh, it's out there. Um, Facebook, Flat Track Live, AMA Pro Racing. Um, we're all over the place. Just got to look for a little bit for it. Saturday, August 29th, the Don Tilly Memorial. AMA Pro Charlotte Half Mile. Rock Slide. Part of the Half Mile at the Motor Speedway. Saturday, August 29th. Team Harley Davidson takes on Team Ducati. Triumph. Kawasaki. Honda. And Yamaha. It's America's first extreme sport. AMA Pro Championship Motorcycle Racing returns to the Charlotte Half Mile after 15 years. The Don Tilly Memorial. Saturday, August 29th. Tickets now at participating Harley Davidson dealers. Online at charlottehalfmile.com. That's charlottehalfmile.com. Or at the gate. First the trailer to Distorted, and then when we come back, we'll be unplugged and totally uncut with Christina Ricci. This is the pinnacle? Lauren, Russell, welcome to 21st Century Living. We have the ultimate comfort and tranquility. All suites have access to our 24-hour surveillance of all key venues. Okay, now check into this and see what I can dig up. A word just flashed across the screen. What word? I'm not one of them. Excuse me? Delivery! How did you get through the gate? And I have to ask you to leave. This is the pinnacle. Or I will call security. Have you noticed anything unusual about your apartment? What if someone is using this building as an experiment? What are you experiencing? Coercive flash images. This is not in my head. You're not paranoid. Who do you trust? You're operating with a frequency outside the range of their tech. It's happening, and I think you can help me prove it. What is this? My theory is too little meds, your condition takes over. Too much. They do. Hello, Lauren. You should get out there. What? Run. Lauren, you are fully aware of what you've done? I've done exactly what was asked of me. Good morning, Christina. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. What was it like to be on the set of this movie? Because when we see it now, we get to see all of the the editing and everything like that. But you participated with something that's going to scare the bejeebies out of us. (laughs) Yeah, it's a much different thing on set. Um, You know, you have to imagine all of the uh, all of the terrifying images and sounds and all that stuff. So. It can feel a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> the movie we're talking about is Distorted, which opens up on Friday. This movie scares me so much because it's almost like th- this could happen in this digital age. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too. I, I don't think it's too far fetched. I mean, this, certainly this is something that somebody could do if they wanted to. I would imagine. But, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's about the 21st century living with, with this digital age. Where, when you're on the set like that and, and, the, and the scenes are un, un, unwrapping, I mean, do you find yourself be, getting scared as well? Um, no, not really. As I said, you know, they'll say, you know, you get a flash of 
some horrible image, and so you have to create it for yourself and react on your own with no one else doing it, and it's very quiet. So it's not really terrifying. It's actually quite hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this is the movie that a lot of people, it's going to create talk, because everybody's going to want to go see it. you got the millennials that are waiting for a movie like this, and you've got older people that still love to have experiences like this. So you're really kind of crossing that line between the genres and the age groups. Yeah, and I think also there's just so much... You know, technological advancement ahead of our sort of development as people that I think we still sort of have almost um, like a primitive fear of technology in some in some ways, and I think this really taps into um, a very basic fear, a base fear of the unknown. And that's that's to me is what makes a great movie is that unknown. And you use that word fear. And on the trailer it says, "Don't fear the lies." That's kind of, that's a what's going on with this movie kind of line. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good tagline for 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 the for the age. Now, are you getting the opportunity to do any writing, directing, or producing with with your career and everything? Because your imagination has always been wide open. Yeah, you know, my uh, television uh, series B. It's a book that I found that I brought to that we brought to Amazon and created that show. Um, uh, I've produced a bunch of other indies. Um, you know, and I plan on doing more in the future, for sure. It, it, it's such an age for those indies, and plus, on top of that, it's just it's just an opportunity to be seen and heard in this digital generation. Yeah, I think especially now, um, there really needs to be there's a really there's really a place for for genuine voices in art, and um, and I think we need to kind of I, I think people really should should look at their TV programs and their movies that way. These are art. These are pieces of art, and 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 there should be real voices these days that have something to say because you know certainly everything is about speaking your mind these days. Well, I've always thought that like what you do with the indies and stuff like that, it's the brand new album because you know like with music where everybody would get into it and there was always a message in inside that music. Well, that's what happens yeah. with you with your shows as well. Yeah, you're right, absolutely. Is it challenging to be on the business side of, of Hollywood, or is it like, wait a second, I'm, I'm going to only go so far here and let everybody else around me do the business side? No, I mean, it is. that is the intimidating part, is actually going from I have this idea to how do I make this happen? And I think once you have a few successes and, and you really rely on the people who can help you, I think you, it becomes much more uh, attainable. Spe- but it is very intimidating, the business side of it. Speaking of helping, your your organization, Rain, really reaches out there and helps out a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why um, I initially became involved with them. I thought it was such a pragmatic, practical uh, approach to a crisis, a real crisis in our society. Well, and see, we need people like yourself to be able to step forward like you've done to, to kind of remind people that, hey, something's going on here and we need to make a change. Yeah, I think for me, my work with Rain has really been about um, making sure that people who need help get help, um, because uh, rape and sexual assault is cyclical, and so if you can help survivors, then they might not be rape victimized, and they might not uh, continue the cycle themselves. And in those cases... So, and, and Rain has not been afraid to reach out there and, and make themselves visible in a situation like this because so many times, even newspapers don't want, they only want the bad headlines. They don't want to hear the healing headlines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing that I like about Rain. Rain is about actually solving problems, not about, um, not about just making sort of a grandiose statement and um, headlines. They're about actually organizing all the call centers across the U.S. so that 
wait if something happens to you you have a place to call and all those people have all been uniformly trained to give you the absolute best um, care at that time of need you're so well-rounded with everything that you have done how do you find focus in in all you know like with everything always coming at you but yet you you're you've always been that peaceful person Well, that's not necessarily true. I had a very, very, very difficult time in my 20s and teens being a child, having been a child actress and then all of a sudden being an adult and being famous and not having really had a childhood. It was very, very (laughs) complicated and not calm at all. But I think now that I'm almost 40 and I have been, you know, and I I have a child and I have a family, I think now I'm actually much more settled and able to really make intelligent choices and uh, I'm excited about the future. Absolutely. Well, of course, you've got, I mean, the digital age, you've got this new movie, Distorted. It's such an exciting time for you to, to be right back in our lives again. Yeah, yeah. Is is right. it is it kind of weird for, for someone to say back in our lives again? In, in reality, you, you've never really left us and you've always been here. And then, I mean, is, is that weird for people to say? Well, no, I mean, I understand what people mean. There are different levels of profile. You know, sometimes you do things that are more high profile and have a larger impact and then you do work that sort of makes less of a splash for a while. And, you know, that's part of a career. Somewhere along there in that career, are you going to release any music? Because you, you speak so perfectly in tune. Um, no, probably not. <laughs> um, I, I love, I mean, I love music so much, but, but I definitely would, would leave that to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to find out more about the movie? Visit distorted.movie.